Laura, how you doing? I'm doing great, Courtney. How are you? I am so well. I just ate breakfast and I'm feeling good. I don't know what to call it. I saw the yoga trapeze hanging up in your room. Are you a trapezist or is there another word for it? No. So I've done a few different kinds of yoga. I definitely consider myself not necessarily a yogi, but on my way there. I like to do yoga almost daily, do the stretches and whatnot. But when I stick with a consistent schedule of at least going to a class weekly my body feels fantastic and the yoga trapeze is great for hanging upside down and letting your spine really um, elongate and get all of that pressure out right I don't know I really thought it was kind of like a sex thing the first time I saw it one of our guests we had on before <laughs> had a yoga trapeze in their home and I just was kind of over there to talk about the podcast and stuff and I'm like uh what is this she's like oh here's what it is and explains it to me and I'm still looking like very very suspiciously like that's not all it's for and then I made a joke one day she was like oh we get real creative <laughs> with this we talked a little bit about your own personal experience we talked about uh, when you were diagnosed what was happening around there and then your experience with the medical professionals who diagnosed you can you go ahead and just kind of start from the beginning around your diagnosis let us know what was going on around that time how you found out you had herpes and we'll take it from there Sure. So I was diagnosed a little over 10 years ago. I was 21 in a six-month relationship with this guy I really liked. He was living with me at the time. He was about to move to Texas, and I knew that Texas was not for me. So he had this dream that I would go with him, and I stayed. I didn't want to go. He got stressed out before he left, and as we were being intimate, one day I looked down and I said, you know, there's something, something on your dick. And he just looked down and said, it's from masturbating too much. I, it's just like a sore from masturbating. And I was like, oh, all right, I dig it. And I thought he must be telling the truth, at least to his knowledge, to his best ability. So we went ahead and had unprotected sex as we had all before because I was 21. And my education about safe sex was not what it is today. So two weeks later, I had immense pain and to what I would understand after going to the doctor was a herpes outbreak of HSV2. And the doctor looked down there and she looked back up and said, has anybody ever told you you have herpes? And I said, no. She said, well, you do. And I was distraught. I was flabbergasted. I didn't get any education beyond that. And it was just really unsettling. What were the following words after that? Yeah, she gave me a prescription. And she said, oftentimes people will have this, it'll be in your genes for sometimes your entire life. And it just doesn't surface until something big happens. So it's very possible that I had always had it. And it just now turned into an outbreak. It's very possible that he gave it to me. I'm not totally sure because the first person that I told was my best friend at the time who also lived with both of us. And she looked at me straight in the eyes and said, you never tell a soul. You take that to the grave. So I was terrified. I didn't tell him. Did the person who gave you your diagnosis use the word genes? Did they say that it was probably in your genes? No, I don't think she said in your genes. Okay. Just you may have had this from a young age because maybe somebody kissed you and had an outbreak or whatever. Although usually HSV2 is not 
passed through oral, like mouth to mouth right. kind of stuff, to my understanding. Right. It's more commonly diagnosed genitally than orally, but either version of the virus can be in either location and even you can get it on your elbows, ankles, butt cheek, uh, right. lower back, all these different places. The first person you told was a mutual friend of yours, you and your then boyfriend. And this person's response is you don't tell anyone you take that to the grave. What was their thinking behind this? Do you know? Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm sure that she just knew of the stigma that was already out there that herpes makes you disgusting and dirty. And this was a disease that nobody wanted. Right. I mean, it's 10 years ago, so we have a lot more education about it now. But then even it was even more stigmatized, at least in the circle that I ran with. I live in Ohio and People don't know much about that, especially our education system. They were more on the side of just don't do it. So I didn't get a whole lot of education. I'm pretty sure she didn't get a whole lot of education about it either. She came from a Catholic school and teaching kids that all of these things are scary and it's bad. And if you don't have sex, you won't have to deal with it. Doesn't do any good for any of us that do get it, which it's a very high possibility that you do get it even from not having sex. I'm wondering, why was that her gut reaction? Are other people being told, you don't tell anyone, you take this to the grave? How did you feel hearing that? Is that something that was expected? Is that something that you didn't expect from her? What was your reaction to her saying, you just don't tell anyone? How'd you continue to do things moving forward? I was surprised. I was shocked. I was really scared. I was scared to tell anyone. Obviously, my best friend had judgments about it. How could I go to anyone else? I ended up not telling anyone, but just watching myself and making sure that I didn't do anything while having an active outbreak. And honestly, I, I only, this sounds really bad. This is, this is something that I've really not liked about past me. But I would have sex with people that I didn't really care about. So if they got it, it was like, all right, we had one night, it's whatever. Um, if I really, really liked someone, it was a lot harder to be intimate with them. Because I couldn't be honest. I couldn't be myself in that way. I mean, it happened, yeah. But it's something that happens not to okay the behavior but it's one of those things where it's like this is why we need more access to more relevant information because i mean i've been there too and made up all kinds of excuses about it and not being treated for the mental aspects that come with that so you can justify it in your head by saying oh well they didn't ask me or no one told me I've heard a lot of reasons that people choose not to disclose and, like I said, not to okay the behavior, but, like, this is a safe space. It's important for you to be able to share the reality of your story because this is something that happens and this is something that we want people to begin to understand. The importance of conversations around sexual health, the importance of sex education to youth so that when they develop into adults and they may come into contact with an STI, they're better prepared to deal with it from a space of being able to just take responsibility to be able to educate themselves, disclose to other people, and then if someone is disclosed to who has this level of sex education, they're able to respond in a way that 
encourages future disclosure, that encourages better conversation around it so that people are aware, okay, well, we can reduce the risk if we wear condoms, if we use lube, if we do all these different things that are available and then being mindful of a person's body and how they're responding, how you're feeling right now in terms of the last time you had an outbreak, if you have regular outbreaks. So a lot of the lessons that come from not disclosing are what we're bringing here so that the people who might be on the fence are looking for a reason not to disclose so that people are able to understand like, okay, well, this is something that happens and it's important to be able to put myself in position to be able to communicate. Right. No, I absolutely agree. I think consent is a big part of all of this, the consensual conversation of I do have this disclosing and letting someone make that decision that maybe we weren't given. A lot of us weren't given this decision. If I was given this decision at the time, I wouldn't have accepted it. I don't know if it was with someone that I had a one night thing with or if it was from someone that I was serious about and saw a future with. We just don't know. And there's no point in really dwelling on the past where where we are right now. The past was necessary for the present to be what it is exactly at this particular moment. So all we can do is get the information, become aware of what's happening and then move forward with the information that we were given yeah how very spiritual and universal of you oh was it i try to keep that out of the podcast but like personally i'm like always finding shit like to connect some kind of way and at the end of the day like if you're struggling with something i mean the best way to look at it is well what happened was necessary for this moment to be exactly what it is also recorded the whole podcast episode episode 92 you are necessary if you uh want to go and check that out afterwards so back to you enough about me and my stuff you struggled with disclosure and that was as a result of the shame that you experienced after your first disclosure i'm gonna assume yeah i struggled with disclosure until i was with this guy that I ended up marrying. I ended up getting pregnant with him before we got married. So after I got pregnant, after we were married, then I told him and his reaction was a good reaction. And that was the first time I realized people will accept me with this. And I still do feel bad that I didn't tell him in the beginning, but I ended up telling him I have herpes and I'm really sorry if I gave it to you. I'm sure that you have it by now. Obviously, we weren't using protection. He ended up getting it as well and he's been cool about it. He was more cool about it when we were married, but things do happen and bring us to where we're meant to be, as you said. So yeah, I've gotten a lot better since then. I'm definitely more on the... uh, all about disclosure now and giving that consensual opportunity to people. And it actually gave me the want desire to educate myself more about it as well. How were you sexually without disclosing? Because people I've spoken to who made the choice not to disclose found that there was this conflict, an inner conflict between arousal and, I guess, integrity. I would say that there was a a struggle between integrity and arousal. Uh, Myself and another guest that I had on, we talked about like not being able to get full erections when we were intimate with someone. So I don't know if that's the same thing that would happen for someone who 
has a vagina. Hope I worded that right. Uh, or if that if there was any kind of a difference, like were you in your head, or were you able to be present in these sexual encounters? Well, it was it was a really rough time. So actually, I was drunk a lot. I was suffering from a lot of depression, not necessarily just from the diagnosis, but that I'm sure had a lot to do with it. So I would go out and drink. I would go out and party. I was doing some drugs. And if sex happened, it happened. And I didn't find it hard to get wet, but I'm sure it it's a lot easier now knowing that someone knows and they are consenting to being with me. Either, uh, either they also have it or we use protection or we have all of that in place. It's a lot easier to get off. You're right. It's a struggle, even being with people and wearing condoms and hearing them say, oh, well, we don't have to use a condom. Uh, we can take it off. I'm on birth control. And then you're like, oh, no, we actually have to use this condom. So there's like, even with that gray area, <laughs> even in that, that space, even in that gray area of uh, various scenarios that can just come up in sex, like we're not always 100 percent safe i don't even like using safe but i mean like safer and taking the necessary precautions we had one of our recent guests dr Evelyn dacker she used the analogy of driving a car you do everything you can you put your seatbelt on you minimize the distractions but you can't control how other people drive you can do everything right along the road signs the uh, the stop signs the stop lights use your turn signal you're still putting yourself at risk in order to get to your destination and we just have to be aware of that and as prepared as we can be and understand that no matter what, there's still going to be a risk. Someone that we have sex with may not disclose their STI status and put us at risk. Someone may not tell us that they're on or off birth control and we've got risk of pregnancy. There are all these things that happen as a result of us just not having a conversation and it's also not planted in us to have these discussions given what's in the media where we get access to our sex education and what we think sex is supposed to be like there's all of these different factors that play a role and if we just had a solid foundation of sex education this is something that i'm finding we would be better equipped to not only have more pleasurable experiences, but to have more conversations around consent, our safety. We're able to reduce factors of trauma because there oftentimes we're like, even with people who have sex consensually, there may be things that kind of go unspoken that a person assumes are okay. And the other person having that act done to them may not even be aware of how they can communicate that they're not okay with it. Thus ending in this has now become a violation of consent, which, you know, it wasn't brought up. So now there's this whole gray area. And then we may have a time where way later or even immediately after when a person feels safe to really sit with these thoughts and communicate and articulate what happened to them we're looking at an assault i mean i know there's nothing we can really do <laughs> from a conversational standpoint but it's important for us to be able to get sex education that includes this type of conversation into the places that it needs to be had so that we have children who are informed who become informed adults well 
Well, that's part of it, right? This conversation is doing something by educating those who may not have known otherwise how to gain consent from someone else, how to watch for um, physical signs of consent or not consent. That's a really big thing. I actually started going to a kink club in this past year or two, and they teach a consent class at the beginning of every play party. And in the consent class, they talk about how important it is to care about the person that you're with. If you want to play with this person again, you have to care about them. Even if you are hitting them and whipping them and whatever else it is you're doing, right? They like that, but as soon as they don't like it, it's over. And sometimes they will tell you in ways that are not verbal. They'll do nonverbal communication. And that's extremely important. If you know your partner, if you care about your partner, even if you don't know your partner but you care about this person, you can watch for nonverbal cues. Do you identify as kinky or are you kinky? I want to make sure to get the wording right here. <laughs> well, um, I would say that, yeah, I identify as kinky. Uh, I like things a little rougher. So um, it's not something that I necessarily need in order to climax, but it's a part of my life where I like to play. It's just a rough body play thing for me. Um, I do things like electro and fire play and, and a lot of touch-based sensory play it's a little different than just domination yeah now yeah. we're talking about putting a lot of stress on the body and we know that mental stress can cause outbreaks is this added stress to your body something that you've noticed impacts your relationship with herpes are you having outbreaks after you do scenes or any type of intense stress on your body Funny enough, I'll sometimes have an outbreak before I go because I get so excited. So I'll like double up on my medication or something to keep the outbreak from happening. But um, afterwards, no, I feel elated while I'm there. I feel really great while doing the play. And then afterwards, I feel very calm and relaxed and cared for. Because aftercare is such a huge part of that of that kinky side. It, it's a part of consent. As soon as everything is done and someone notices the nonverbal cues of you are completely in what's called subspace or your body has just completely given up and there's no more fight in it and you are completely relaxed, that's when they hold you and they care for you and they make sure that you feel good about yourself and about what just happened. A lot of times they'll stroke your hair, they'll bring you drinks and chocolate. Chocolate and orange juice is honestly the most common combination. I didn't expect our conversation to go this way, but I'm glad it is. Adding to that, disclosure in kink. So I'm going to make the assumption that not all kink you're involved with involves intercourse. Do you have to disclose? You mentioned doubling up on your medication. I'm going to assume, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but do you double up on your medication to get rid of the outbreak and the discomfort, or do you double up on the medication in order to get rid of the virus so that you're not putting someone at risk of contracting herpes? I double up on my medication to not have the outbreak and the discomfort of the outbreak. Anyone that I am planning to play with, I disclose. I haven't even had intercourse 
at the kink playroom or at the play space because to me that's not what I have kink for as I said before it's more of a sensual uh, sensory play if I'm gonna have sex with someone I usually do it in a bed or in a tent or in a car (laughs) but I have not had sex at the sex Club. Oh, you're not kinky. You have sex in beds and tents and cars. That's it. No, <laughs> that's uh. Kink can be whatever you want it to be. Right, right. I was just, I'm just joking with you. Um, I've been told you don't always put yourself in situations where you need to disclose in clink, in clink, in kink, uh, scenes, but. You do disclose every time. How do your partners receive that or your play partners? Because, again, it's not always sexual. Coming from a place where someone told you never tell a soul to now you're telling everyone, even if you're not even putting them at risk, who um, you may be involved with at that level. What was the deciding factor for you that made you go, okay, I need to disclose to everybody? I think it's because I had had a few partners that decided when we first started playing together or we were first together sexually that they were okay with it. They told me, I love you no matter what, or, you know, I'm comfortable with this. I've heard about it and I've already been with somebody else that had it and blah, blah, blah. They were, they were okay with it. But I think the more I got into educating them, the more uncomfortable they got because they realized they don't want to have it. And then they kind of flipped the script on me. Then I became more and more educational about it. Like, hey, before we do anything, you need to know that I have this and I need to see that you are comfortable completely because if this ruins our relationship, I'm going to be real salty. (laughs) That's very fair. So you're protecting your emotions. This is one of your boundaries. You just need to know that the other person is aware of what the risks are and that they're okay with it. Yes, absolutely. So it's not a matter of, oh, you have herpes? That's no big deal. It needs to be, oh, I understand that. Well, are you on your, are you on medication? Do we need to wear barriers? And that kind of gives you an idea of where their knowledge is. And once you feel safe there, then you're free to just let go and surrender to the experience. Absolutely. And surrender is a really good word for it because that's what you need if you're going to be um, submissive or playing with others in that kind of space. You have to be able to surrender because, I mean, there's people walking around like on dog collars and all this leather and everything, and they are completely themselves. And that's what I want to be. I want to be completely myself in this space. Sometimes I just walk around naked and I don't feel uncomfortable. I feel less comfortable in a bar clothed with, uh, let's say, like short shorts and uh, maybe a revealing top than I do completely naked there. All right, let's talk about that. There's clearly a connection between what you mentioned earlier Leading up to going into these events, you're so excited that it triggers outbreaks. Leaving these events after having had this feeling of being able to express yourself, feeling seen, feeling experienced, and having these experiences in this environment, you just feel completely relaxed, and then you're cared for. So there's a sense of safety that comes with that as well, but then you say going out clothed to a bar around other people who are clothed in a bar there's not that same level of 
safety and expression present. Like you feel like you have to dumb down when you're not around your people. Is that what we're saying here? That's very true because going to a bar, I don't know who understands consent. I don't know who understands uh, the destigmatization of HSV and STIs. I don't know how safe I'm going to be there with myself. I don't know who can be safe with me. Like you said, it's like driving a car, right? I would much rather go on a track with a bunch of race car drivers than go on a track with a bunch of drunks. Well, shit, that was a hell of a way to put it. Yeah, like you feel safer (laughs) on a track with people who race their cars. If you're talking about racetrack drivers, there's rules on the track. There's a lot of specific rules, and there are things that people are more understanding of. Whereas if you're driving from your house, getting on the highway to a destination, anything goes. I mean, there's the police that if they have a presence it reduces the chances of people breaking the law, but you can't be everywhere at once. So it's like you're putting yourself at risk for multiple types of drivers. Whereas on the track, everyone who's driving is generally a similar driver. And with the beginning opening up with conversations around consent at these play parties, now everyone is on the same page with how to interact with one another in that environment. And when you're really involved and you go from kink party to kink party to kink party and you're hearing the same conversations consent 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 then a lot of that stuff is just going to naturally stick with you and you're going to become a better driver right the consent calvary it's something that us play space monitors kind of call ourselves i volunteer at the kink club as well and i volunteer as a greeter and a play space monitor and sometimes i'll play and sometimes i will just greet people and bring them into the space and let them know the rules of consent and the boundaries that we have in this club, in this space while we're having a party. And then I'll make sure to walk around. And if somebody looks uncomfortable, it's okay for me to approach them and say, Hey, how you doing? You all right? Like that, how you said the policeman is on the street. (laughs) I am the police in that situation, making sure that everyone is safe, even though these are more educated drivers. We're stretching these analogies, and I love it. We could probably go on with this. You mentioned getting involved when, I guess, when you feel like getting involved. How does one go about disclosing in this space? So you see someone you want to play with, like, Maybe you see these people regularly. Maybe you'll never see these people again. How does one disclose in a kink play environment? Well, we actually had a whole discussion about that. At the beginning of these parties, we have the consent conversation, and then we also have a teaching moment one night about this. Usually they have a class at the beginning of every party. And like last night was mummification and wax play. And sometimes it's like breath play or electro or whatever. Well, one night we had a class on STDs, STIs, and how to disclose or how to ask. What I personally like is as soon as I make a connection with someone, as soon as we decide that we want to play in one way or another, I'll sit down and I'll look at him and I'll say, well, I need to know what your STD, STI last screen was. When did you have it? Do you have a copy on your phone? If not, that's okay. I trust you to the best of my ability, but I need to let you know that I do have HSV too. 
and I can also show you my last screening on my phone. Is that a common thing? I've gotten shit for sharing information about talking about STI status, consent, and things that turn people on. People are like, no one wants to do all of that in a casual sex environment. If we're just hooking up for one night, the other person should be aware of what the risks are. I get that those kinds of statements are probably coming from a place of anger because someone wasn't disclosed to. So they're like, no one disclosed to me, so I don't have to disclose to anyone. Just kind of going back to what we said earlier there. While it seems like it's ridiculous and that may be something that's very unique and specific to the kink community, I mean, imagine if, yeah, if everyone had the same level of education before they went out, like let's take 20 minutes to talk about consent and STI status, and then we start all going out and pre-gaming and meeting people and then getting to a place where we're going to be hooking up, but that's not what's happening. Everyone's coming in with their own level of understanding, their own level of education, and they are going to have the interaction however they're going to have the interaction and it's always assumed based on their experience their perspective of what it means to have sex with someone else right i do understand everyone's scared of the stigma and the judgment that'll be put on them right in the kink spaces there is so much less of that because we are so concerned with our own safety whereas i feel like in a more like hookup center kind of thing I've noticed in a lot of swingers clubs, they don't disclose as much. They don't care because they do know the precautions to take and all of that. And they just, they get there and they're horny and they just want to get it on. And it's like, but taking a second and caring about that person and caring about yourself really shows a lot about you to this person that could take it beyond just one night. It could be not just one night. It almost feels like a level of laziness on their part to not want to bring it up on their phone or not want to bring it up just in verbal communication. I don't know. Well, it it kills the mood because what happens if someone is positive or what if someone says something that you don't like? Referencing Dr. Evelyn Dacker again, we talked about killing the mood. We do that ourselves. We kill the mood with how we feel about the conversation and the internalized shame that we have. Like, we should just be able to have sex. We shouldn't have to have this conversation. What does that say about me? What does that say about the other person? And it's, it's just really internalized shame. So I just wanted to make sure to bring that up too. You assume that it kills the mood, but imagine opening that conversation up and you get to talk in with someone and you come to find out that you have complimentary turn-ons. So for instance, you like someone to be aggressive. So imagine you're sharing with someone that you're submissive and that opens them up to step into their dominance and these things just kind of go well with one another and maybe there are certain triggers that you may have and things that may turn you off if the other person's aware of these things then they can just stay away from those things they don't have to grab you by the neck they don't have to spit on you or whatever it is that they would generally by default do now they're aware of the things to kind of step back from so that you can have a much more pleasurable experience right well there's also what if you tell someone that you have herpes and they say oh my god me too guess what kind of great sex you're about to have oh my god 
people are surprised, but that happens often. So yes, there's the risk of rejection. There's also the risk of you getting into a car accident when you leave the house every day to go to your destination. There's also the risk of contracting an SCI, but we take those risks on a regular basis for the reward. So if we want to have sex, we're sexual beings and we put ourselves out there and in position to have the pleasurable experience of sex, there's going to be the risk of rejection. And when you make it past and through those rejections, you continue to just put yourself out there. There will be a time where you really connect with someone and you're aroused, you're both aroused, and then you have that conversation with them and disclose, and then they just hit you with a me too. And from there, y'all get to just figure out where y'all going from there. And it's more common than people think, but it's only common for the people who it's also common to experience rejection for. You may be one of those one-off situations where you never get rejected because people just love you so much and you just, you found your type of people to regularly interact with and that's okay but for the majority of us we have to deal with the possibility of rejection during disclosure but there's also that potential for a positive response for me too even and to those who've not experienced that yet i guarantee you keep going keep trying and you'll you'll, you'll get it absolutely my partner now he um I went to him and I said, hey, so we hadn't talked in about 10 years and he called me one night drunk and I was feeling vulnerable and open and everything and I was like, yeah, I've, I've got HSV too and you know, I didn't tell you back then because I was scared and I'm sorry that I didn't tell you but I'm telling you now and he's like, well, I have it too and I was like, oh shit, did I give it to you? And he goes, no, 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 actually you didn't. I know who I got it from and I, I consented to having sex with this person that I knew had it and so I got this fair and square I was like oh great and then I went and saw him and we had amazing sex because it's like we don't have to be that careful we don't have to worry about am I going to give this to this person because we already have it do we want to use protection sure I don't want more babies but we at least are comfortable and confident knowing that we aren't going to give each other that being able to reconnect with someone and then finding out there's so much of a relief that comes with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I was trying not to burp and then it just kept coming. <laughs> See what happens when you surrender? You got to just let stuff go sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but that reconnection is it's just so powerful when you can just surrender, be yourself, and not have to worry about that little voice in the back of your head that's like, oh, I don't want to have to think about this. And it sounds like you've made the decision to always disclose. So that decision's been made. So now the little decisions of actually disclosing kind of make themselves. Like once you make the big decision, all the little ones make themselves. Oh, absolutely. The ones like, where am I going to be when I disclose or how am I going to say this? I almost turned it into a game. I was on dating sites there for a while and I was like, what's the funniest way I could disclose to someone? So I said it as a joke. I don't even remember what the joke was, but I said something and then I was like, yeah, because like I've got herpes. And then I laughed and I was like, no, seriously, I have herpes. chance to educate himself and he hadn't been educated before and actually a lot of people that I disclose to they say well I don't know anything about that 
can you teach me? And I'm like, I would love to. That would make my heart so happy. And so many people navigate the world of dating without this understanding of STIs and like sexuality itself. Like think about all of the bad sex people are having because of the absence of communication. A lot of us don't even know what good sex can be. And it was, I mean, until very, very recently, I would say maybe 27 years old. I'm 30 now. But it took me until 27 to realize that the kind of sex that I had been having in the past wasn't sex. It was very performative and it wasn't for myself. It wasn't for the other person. There was no communication back and forth about what sex was supposed to be. We just knew we were going to have sex. That's it. Is this what sex is? And when you take time to examine that and decide what it is, it's more than just a penis and a vagina. If I were to receive oral from someone, I wouldn't consider that to have been sex before I was 27. So like now, it's so much more expansive and it includes so much more than just physical intercourse. Right. Well, sex isn't even defined anywhere. If you try to define sex, it goes per person. So for someone, it may be intercourse, penis into vagina or anus or two vaginas on each other or however you want that to be or it may be oral sex or it may be tantra which is just energies colliding together and experiencing one another maybe i just make eye contact with someone and it is so sensual that i believe that that was sex well that sounds hot so people can have sex without actually having sex whatever having sex means Absolutely. <laughs> There's this song by, I don't, I don't remember his name. I think it was Pharaoh something, but it's called Mind Sex. And if anyone gets a chance to listen to it, make sure you like chilling and in the space where you can like really take it in. But now that, like I heard it when I was middle school and saw the video and he was just like, we could have mind sex. We ain't got to take our clothes off yet. And then he said, we can just chat and have a good conversation before we make love. Those are not the lyrics verbatim, but like it was around that. And now that I'm 30, I'm like, oh, that's what he was saying. Before I was like, I ain't trying to hear that shit. We don't want to (laughs) talk. Yeah, so like hearing that from then to now, it's like, that's bullshit. But now it's like, oh, that's good sex. Like, that's what that is. Before you even get to the penetration that there's already been sex or before you even physically touch one another, like sex, based on how you describe it, probably could begin at the beginning of the interaction. How'd you first connect with someone and then begin to constantly interact? Like, this is all just adding to the buildup of that release that takes place whenever whatever you two define that final or the big climatic climactic moment to be right well now we can also talk about what happens if you disclose to someone and they do not want to have penetrative sex with you but they still want to be with you. What are your other options? So you can do things like tantra or hand jobs or mutual masturbation or things like that that make both people comfortable, right? No one likes to be rejected and told, I don't want to have sex with you. But hearing, I do not want to have penetrative sex with you, but I would like to be with you in a loving, romantic way and very sensual. Whatever that means to your relationship, to you two, 
that can still be a relationship and you can still be with that person. Yeah. And even with immature Courtney, had I heard something like that, let's say I did have herpes and I was at that age, I probably would have been more curious in anything rather than feeling like I was rejected. All I probably would have heard was, I don't want to have sex with you. But if we're not able to set some sort of a foundation for people to open up and have that level of conversation, imagine telling someone, yeah, I have herpes. And then they respond with, oh, well, you know, I don't want herpes. That's that tends to be what we expect and all we hear. And when they say, I don't want herpes, we take that as I don't want you. Whereas there can be an extension of that. I don't want to put myself at the risk for contracting herpes. So what are some other things that we'd be able to do, like you said, in that loving manner? Right. I have a story for that, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so I've been poly for about a year, polyamorous. So I was dating a married man. And his wife knew, and she had a girlfriend and everything, and everyone was super happy about the whole situation. We'd go out on dates all together. He knew that I had herpes, and as soon as I told him, he decided to go to his doctor and educate himself fully, and that made me feel very cared for. Then he and his wife had to have the conversation of, are we comfortable with him having sex with me? And possibly contracting that and giving that to everyone in the situation. They decided that they were not. And so he and I would have what was called high school rules. So it was like under the shirt, over the pants kind of stuff, right? No genital touching or anything like that. And it worked for us for quite a few months. And we had a great time. We were completely safe. We were consensual. Everyone was on board. Even though we aren't together anymore, we're still really good friends. He was actually messaging me before we started the podcast. We're great friends. Our families hang out. It's wonderful having that open line of communication. I'm glad that this just naturally came up, but you did mention being polyamorous. Within the last year was when you began to identify as polyamorous. Is that right? Yeah. Was this after exposure to the kink world, or was this something that you had been wrestling with, or was it something that you became open to once you met this man? So this is something that came up at the tail end of my marriage, which I feel happens a lot of times in relationships that aren't working. You want to find a means to an end and you start looking outside of the marriage or outside of the relationship for someone that will fulfill your needs, which isn't the best way to go about it, but oftentimes it'll educate you. So I was with my husband and I told him, you don't do this. You don't do that. I need someone that will rub my back or help me with the house or help me with the kids or whatever. And he said, sure, you can do that if you want. We ended up splitting up and I'm glad that I didn't get anyone else involved because that would have been a really messy situation. But after that, I ended up meeting friends who were also poly and they allowed me to interview them and ask them questions about polyamory and really figure out what it was. And I thought that their dynamic was really beautiful because it was a husband and wife, still is, a husband and wife, and the husband had a girlfriend. And they were all very loving, and the wife and the girlfriend would talk, and they were friends, but they were not romantic. The husband and the girlfriend would go off and do fun, kinky, sexual things with other people and there was no jealousy shown but there were still emotions 
options and they still communicated about a lot of things. So that really sparked my interest. I kind of infiltrated their, what they call their pod. (laughs) And I became really, really good friends with them and hung out a lot and asked them all my questions. I started getting books and reading books. One really good one is called More Than Two, uh, An Ethical Guide to Polyamory. And after educating myself enough, I decided to try out a polyamorous situation with the aforementioned married man. And it was nice. You mentioned infiltrating a pod. <laughs> I thought that was a funny way. I thought that was a funny way of uh, putting that. We all became really good friends, and now they consider me part of their pod as an extension of the pod. I'm not romantic with any of them, but we are such good friends. The wife and the girlfriend came over last night, and we all hung out and watched a witch movie and went out to dinner and like got stoned and had a great time, right? <laughs> and then the husband came over this morning to pick up the girlfriend and we all went out to my yurt and hung out in my yurt for a little while and <laughs> I see you giggling already. <laughs> You're so pumped about that yurt. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, it's my life. Oh. <laughs> uh. That's cool because it just sounds like you just have a really solid friendship with a group of people. It sounds like a just mini community of people. Yeah, that's basically what it is and That's kind of what we were talking about earlier today when they were here. We were talking about how polyamory is a community. It's people who are absolutely loving and love each other, love many people full-heartedly, and we care so much about one another that we want each other to be happy, which is called compersion, when you want happiness for others. And if that happiness lies in you having other partners or you having other friends or whatever that is, that's all that we really care about. Yeah. You mentioned not being sexually involved with any of them. Is this because you have herpes? No, I've been kinky with them without being sexual. But I think it's just the way that the friendships came about. We didn't evolve into romantic friendships or relationships we evolved into friendships i think a lot of times when someone hears poly they think immediately like oh you're just gonna go out and bang everyone but that's not polyamory that's (laughs) that's open relationships in my mind in my mind that's an open relationship when i'm saying i have freedom to go and sexually be with whoever i want to be with And you have the same, but maybe we don't talk about it to each other. Maybe we don't meet the other people. That's an open relationship. Whereas polyamory is more of this many loves. I love that you are comfortable and feeling loved from someone else. And because this other person makes you feel that way, I want to be in community with them. I want us to get to know each other and... And those relationships, when you're both with a person, but you two are not romantic with one another, is called uh, metamors. So I may have a metamor that I really like, but I'm not romantic with. Or maybe those metamor relationships turn romantic. There's so many different ways to do polyamory. It's actually really fascinating. What I've learned in having friends who were polyamorous, I've had this... In the beginning, at least, I had this conception that everyone who's polyamorous just fucks each other. (laughs) That was what I legit thought. After spending time with them, I noticed that there is a deeper level of intimacy, but no one's all touching on each other like one may think or just like 
in that intimate space of I don't really know how to explain it I guess the PDA there's not like I expected PDA whenever I'd go out with my friends who were polyamorous among like the entire group but it wasn't really like that it was just like hanging around a group of people who were really cool friends and like Dungeons and Dragons or like karaoke oh shit they all like Dungeons and Dragons they all like Dungeons and Dragons and they all go to the Renaissance Festival that is a big poly thing (laughs) holy fuck you serious I went to the Renaissance Festival and like I I must have missed that but uh, we went to the Renaissance Festival. We were everybody was on mushrooms, and I gotta tell you, this was the most vibrant experience of my life. Everything oh, popped out. Uh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember one of the uh, people we were with. One of my friends. He had on this like Irish green hat, <laughs> and. He was with us the whole time, and he'd, like, disappear for a minute to go, like, get food or get wine or get stuff. And, like, the fourth time he did it, one of the women we were with, she pulls me to the side. She goes, hey, can you see that leprechaun, too? (laughs) (laughs) Is he actually real or not? (laughs) Uh, I laughed so hard, and I remember, like, at some point, I don't know if I was coming down or what, but everything seemed to be moving real slow. And um, a lady dressed up as the Hocus Pocus witch was like in role. And I'm just staring at her because I don't know who the fuck she is or she's dressed up. And I'm just trying to figure out who are you? I know you from somewhere, but I can't figure it out. And I think I made her really uncomfortable because she was in the role and she was doing a great job. But I'm just so focused on who are you? And then like finally later as she walks away, it's when it hits me like, oh, shit, Hocus Pocus. But yeah. We're, I, I got to make it clear, though. We're not saying, we're not saying all polyamorous people are in the Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> we're in a size festival. Almost As, all of them are, though. Oh, shit. I, I didn't know that. Like, Because these were just the people that, I mean, I, I was around. They were just like, oh, yeah, we're going to D&D. I said, like, what the fuck's D&D? Oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um And then having gone to the Renaissance Festival, like, a lot of, damn, that's that's crazy. <laughs> relationship with I thought this was really funny a 30 year old a 40 year old and a 50 year old all at the same time and all three of these nerdy dudes played Dungeons and Dragons and like going to the Renaissance Festival and they all were into computers and I was like is this a poly thing or is this just the people that I'm running into right now there's something about me that's attracting this so I gotta figure it out I think a lot of it is the poly thing. Damn. Okay. So it's not like, I would say, though, that there might be other things that people are just mutually interested in, though, while none of these other things are coming to mind right now. And I feel so bad that I can't think of anything (laughs) because it's like, I, I, it's kind of like saying like all black people like watermelon and fried chicken, you know, like that's not the case. I'm not able to think of a black person I know that doesn't like watermelon and fried chicken. So it's kind of like the same. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> there's no there's no recovery from this. I'm going to have to edit the shit out. <laughs> no, no. Poly people are not going to get mad at you for saying that all of them like the Renaissance Festival and Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, gonna, someone's going to email me. It is a well-known me. joke in the community. <laughs> someone's going to email me and be like, I fucking hate. I'm black and polyamorous. I hate fried chicken, watermelon, and Dungeons and Dragons. And they're like... <laughs> 
When was your last Renaissance Fest? Oh, I actually went this year. <laughs> oh, oh man. I'm still trying to think. I guess. I guess. I don't know. We'll we'll see. That like, doesn't exist. Don't don't hurt yourself. <laughs> so being polyamorous and having herpes. Let's talk about that. Have you found that there's been any challenges with that? I mean, more than anything, it's just a lot of people want to make sure that they don't give something to their other partners. So there are a ton of people that are well-educated on STDs, STIs, and they say, okay, so we use condoms. And it's like, yeah, that's great. Make sure that we don't have an outbreak. They ask all the right questions. They say, when was your last outbreak? Do you take medication? Things like that. And then there are some people that are more like, well, you know, I would rather not put myself and my partners at risk, but I really like you. So what kind of relationship can we have going forward that is romantic and intimate, but maybe not sexual? So there are a lot of relationships in the polyamorous community that... You know, I was actually, I had a dom for nine months, and we never had sex. We would do really kinky shit. We would never have penetrative sex. And that was completely fine with us. We just laid out the boundaries and the expectations in the beginning, and we stuck to that. So relationships really just extend beyond heteronormative I feel like there's another word that I need to be using there, but outside of what we consider to be the norm, it doesn't have to be a mommy and a daddy or uh, a penis owner and a vulva owner in a relationship. The relationships extend beyond the body. Oh, shit. There's a title. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's extending beyond the body. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to put it. It does extend beyond the body. Um, I believe very much in energies and the way that my energy mixes with your energy may be the extent of our relationship. Maybe we have like a long distance thing and we're able to have really great communication, but the physical stuff doesn't work. So we just continue in the thing that does work until it no longer works. And we enjoy each other in that. We enjoy what we have while we have it. Damn. Big thing that... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I was just saying damn because I do feel like I just had a fuck ton of light bulbs go off in my head. Like, I've done this thing. So I'm non-monogamous. Yeah, and I are non-monogamous and exploring what that looks like for us. And recently I've sort of tried to generalize and put things in the boxes and bubbles so that I can understand them. And just even from our conversation right now, like it's adding to me understanding that all relationships are going to look different and they extend beyond the body. It's not about who you have sex with, how y'all have sex or the type of physical connection that you have, because it, again, just the relationships extend beyond the body and energetically I've mentioned this before, but it's like every being has its own energetic code of a serial number, so to speak. When you bring more than one energy together, those codes collide and create a whole new set of codes. And that's just what the relationship becomes on an energetic level. So it's, I think that that's really what it is. That's what it's about. Like I can't label 
this and that and differentiate between things because really it's just a fucking mixture of it's it's really whatever you choose to create and that's where going back to the conversations around consent and what relationships look like for various people it it, it becomes important absolutely something that i read in the book more than two was going in with an idea of a relationship that you want is like putting a square peg in a round hole you may meet someone that you really like and you're trying to stuff them into this hole, right? This hole in your heart. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's where the hole. Filled. That's where the hole is. Okay. <laughs> right, right. That hole, not, not the other ones. <laughs> so it, you can't treat people like that. Yeah. You can't treat people like things just trying to fill whatever hole is in your heart. Mm-hmm. Instead, seeing the person as a whole themselves as as complete and beautiful for exactly who they are you get to experience them fully in whatever capacity you two have to give to one another yeah that meeting them where they're at that's beautiful it also comes with acceptance so acceptance for who you are as well as acceptance for who the other person is without trying to make them anything else absolutely well, I, I tried to keep this more focused around herpes and your experience with herpes. I think we dabbled into it a, a bunch, but this conversation went to a space where I'm comfortable with. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me and sharing so much about your experience with kink and being polyamorous. And um, just it's interesting to see the connection between your first interaction with someone when you tell them you have herpes and how that kind of plays out over time because now we're in a space where you tell everybody you went from you shouldn't tell a soul and then over time it just became ah actually i should tell people right yeah no i appreciate you giving me this opportunity to tell my story and to be heard and i feel very validated just by being able to share this. So thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before I let you go? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm honored. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. I can be found at spfpp.org. And I'm also on social media at H on my chest. Till next time, stay sex positive.